So we'll have two Bible passages this morning. The first one will be from Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 to 9, which you can find on page 659 in the blue Bibles that you had on your chairs. Or you can follow on the screen behind me as well. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Our second Bible reading today is from Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34, which can be found on page 1044 of your blue Bibles. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, good morning again, everyone. Thanks for the intro, Lauren. If you're wondering about what sort of topics we've done previously in our Gospel Thought series, we've done such diverse things as depression and anxiety, transgenderism, last year we did politics as well, and today we've chosen the topic of wealth. Uh, We do these uh, throughout the year from time to time and take a bit of a break from our regular diet of teaching through books of the Bible, and uh, when I chose the topic of wealth last year, I didn't realise we would be sort of coming in to uh, a time in the year where uh, lots of people are talking about cost of living pressures, interest rates going up, uh, and those things as well. So it seems uh, a rather timely topic uh, in God's economy. But before we get into it, I'd really like to frame our whole discussion a little more widely in some of the societal changes in our world and for us to think through about uh, God's plans for his church uh, here and our role in it. I was listening to a social commentator on a podcast a few weeks back who was trying to describe some of the broader changes in society in recent decades. 
and he was making some observations. Now, generalizations, of course, always have some exceptions, but he made the broad observation that something started changing about our aspirations in the West around about 1960. Generally speaking, up until that point, it's not like things changed overnight, but he made the observation that um, up until that point, most of the West were sort of aspiring to be more like someone else as part of finding our place in the world and in wider society. So if you just uh, aspired to be a lawyer or a tradesperson or as people aspired to back then, a bank manager, um, you'd model yourself on someone you respected. And over many years of labour and toil, you would work alongside them to become more like them, to find your place uh, in wider society and make a contribution. Now, it's not like, as I said, you know, some flick switch, uh, switch flicked in 1960s, but if you kind of uh, think, unpack that a little further, you'll see that this broad change in society, I think you'll acknowledge that it has accelerated until this day. Where from sort of that decade onwards, we started to see the elevation of self and the goal moved from modelling ourselves on someone else, kind of conforming ourselves into a role in the wider community, to now where the goal is to become more authentically me, to find platforms and jobs that help me live my best life. Uh, the payoff now needs to be something much more immediate and we want a network of relationships and friends around us of like-minded people who will embrace me being me. And few institutions exist now that are based on the long-term hard work of denying self and embracing the corporate whole. I think the military is perhaps one of the only sort of big institutions that is still founded that way. Yet I mention it today because I want to put it to you that church should be, well, the way I think about church and the way I think the Bible encourages us to think about church is more like how we thought about the world pre-1960s than after it. Are we looking for God to shape us more in the image of someone? Well, yes, of course, we want to be more like Jesus. Are our goals corporate, where we're seeking to find our place in a wider community for the sake of something far bigger? Well, of course, yes, if you read your Bibles, we, our goals are corporate. The Bible sees us not as individuals, but, well, we are individuals, but taking our place as a part in the body of Christ with a particular function serving the whole corporately with Christ as the head. That's how the Bible talks about our identity. And we're called to be on mission together, sharing the great news of Jesus with our world for whom heaven and hell hang in the balance. Now I mention this all today in a sermon on wealth Because how you feel about and treat your wealth, I think gives us one of the clearest and most powerful insights into what really drives us in our world. 
are we still fundamentally just about us? Do we like as Christians having an attachment to God and being told we're saved by grace once in a while? Or are we a people who hunger and thirst for the kingdom of God, who long to see others find salvation in Jesus and play our part as he builds his church here on earth? With our wealth, are we people who want a minimalist giving bar to jump over so we can get back to living for ourselves? Or are we corporately prepared to do the hard work of cultivating a heart attitude of generosity in ourselves, conforming ourselves together to the image Jesus calls us to over time? Well, with that question hanging in the air, let's look at God's Word together as we consider the Christian view of wealth. If you're here today just checking out who Jesus is, I hope you find this an interesting insight into the way Jesus changes our hearts over time. And I also hope that you'll see something deeply attractive and radically different about the way God calls us to live now in response to his great love and kindness shown to us across time. You'll see an outline of where we're going in your leaflet as we consider our first reading from Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, with, uh, which, by the way, is the only proverb in the Bible that you could class as a prayer with someone asking uh, something of God. Fun fact for Proverbs fans like me. <laughs> Where we read, uh, Lauren read to us before, Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. Very succinctly, I think it summarizes the Bible's overall teaching on wealth that there are dangers in being either too wealthy or too poor. And Jesus, God's wisdom made flesh, weaves this very proverb into what we know as the Lord's Prayer with the familiar line, give us today our daily bread. Which you have to say for many is a very real prayer of dependence across the world and across time for the world's poor that we, who by any sort of sensible metric are the world's rich, find it much harder to connect with in any meaningful way. Uh, Cam put me on to perhaps the most... uh, Cam introduced this. Cam is one of our pastors we sent out to plant uh, Tonsley, if you're new today, and we still share an office. Uh, He put me on to this book, which he said is the most comprehensive overview of the Bible's teaching on wealth and possessions... Uh, which has chosen, uh, not surprisingly, the title for the book, Neither Poverty Nor Riches. It's by a guy named Craig Blomberg, and it's up on screen. It's comprehensive, read uh, long uh, and quite deep. (laughs) But when I say that, um, even just on a skim read, and then a a much more uh, intensive look at the summary at the end, I would say it is excellent. Uh, uh, I made note of it for those of you who are... It's not going to be a book for everyone... But if you really want to think about wealth and possessions from a biblical point of view, an excellent, excellent work. Neither poverty nor riches is what God's people should desire is the the main thesis of the book. It's always good when the title of the book tells you everything you need to know uh, about reading it. (laughs) 
But to summarize the book briefly, the Bible, uh, which is a, in itself a summary of what the Bible teaches, uh, is uh, the first thing it points out is that material possessions are a good gift from God given to us to enjoy. You find that teaching right across the Bible. Yet at the same time, an abundance of material possessions is one of the primary drivers of turning our hearts away from God. The Bible's teaching about possessions is always, is never kind of sort of alone, it's always intertwined with spiritual matters, spiritual matters of the heart and our godliness. And the one quote I'll make uh, from the book, which I'll pop up on uh, screen now, um, this is uh, from the Silver Book from Craig Blomberg, where he says, no ungodly poor people are ever exalted as models for emulation. No godly rich people who are generous and compassionate in the use of their wealth are ever condemned. But in a remarkable number of instances throughout history, poverty and piety have been found hand in hand. Just making that observation that across history, you very often see the two together. As have wealth and godlessness. There is no inherent connection between the items in either pair, just recurring trends. I thought that's an observation worth taking to heart as we come to think about wealth. Another point Blomberg makes well from the Bible is that there are certain extremes of poverty and wealth which are in and of themselves intolerable to God. Now, none of our household budgets can solve uh, world poverty, yet we should be deeply moved as a reflection of God's heart to want to help those trapped in circumstances outside of their control in grinding poverty, which is a huge number of people in our world today. And there is an equally intolerable hoarding of wealth far beyond our needs or wise planning for the future that is in and of itself unacceptable to God. Immediately preceding today's second reading from Luke, Jesus is responding to a question over the division of an inheritance and with some considerable force he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And Jesus then tells them a parable of a rich fool who is blessed with abundance and thinks I'll build bigger barns all to store it. That's verse 19 of uh, chapter 12 in Luke's Gospel. And we kind of get an insight into what this person is thinking as Jesus tells the parable, verse 19, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. There's a lot we could say about that passage, but it does make the point that there is an upper limit to what is wise to store away for tomorrow, and more importantly, the heart which drives such actions. And it's in this context that Jesus turns to his disciples and teaches them much more gently to trust in God's provision for them. 
Consider the ravens, Jesus famously said, because we are worth much more than birds. Making the further point that worry can't add a single hour to our life because it's in God's hands. So if you can't change such a little thing, don't worry about the bigger things that are out of our control. Yet, I don't know about you, but I think many of our hearts immediately object and say, well, decisions I do make matter. Where I send my kids to school matters. If I have health insurance, matters. If I, whether I choose to study to further my career matters. How I invest matters. What we do with our wealth does change our circumstances. But I'd want to say Jesus is not unaware of the ways of the world. But the fact our hearts go there illustrates something, I think, about the power of wealth. With wealth comes the power of choice. Many of Jesus' first listeners, and for the vast majority of the world's poor across time, they do not have such decisions to make. For many, the idea of going shopping for healthy food and having something left over just isn't a thing. The way the wealthy operate, and how that intersects with power, politics and privilege, traps many in our world today exactly where they are, without opportunity and without the power of choice. The prayer for daily bread is a real and everyday concern. For us, we're generally so far beyond daily need and into our wants, we can be blinded to the extraordinary blessings that we have. Jesus calls his followers to consider the lilies of the field and again trust in God's provision because of God's eternal concern for us. With real insight into whether or not we've been transformed by God's love for us, coming for what our heart longs for. Look there in your Bibles from verse 29. As Jesus says, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. As Mark Peterson challenged us last week on CMS Sunday, it's worth asking, are all our prayers and concerns all with us in the here and now or are our prayers increasingly dominated by kingdom of God concerns? God cares deeply for each one of us and our daily needs and concerns. So, of course, we can bring those to God in prayer. But what Jesus is saying here is to seek first in our hearts, prayers, actions and life, playing our part in advancing the kingdom of God. It was one of my highlights of uh, the week to type up the many encouraging notes people filled out last Sunday as part of CMS Sunday and sending them off to the Purdies uh, this week as they prepare to head to South America to play their part in the kingdom work as Jesus builds his church in South America through training locals in gospel work. We all can't go, of course, but it was great to hear of so many that both your thoughts and finances are with them as they go and to read of people's delight and joy 
of the opportunity to share in partnership with them. Such is a right response to knowing God the Father who has been pleased to give us the kingdom. A place in God's family for eternity which changes everything. For those who have been given the kingdom, whatever happens in life now, no matter how bad, is as bad as it will ever get. And after this life, it will be immeasurably better. For those who don't know Jesus, nor God's wrath against sin and the way that we treat him and the world that he loves, and God has a special heart for the poor, that's right across scripture. For those who haven't trusted in Jesus to save us from God's wrath against such things, you have to say, however good life gets in this world, it's as good as it gets. Which for many in our world isn't that great. And for those of us who do have an easier time of things and more wealth at our disposal, you'd have to say it's fleeting at best. And post this life without Jesus facing God's wrath against sin, it's only going to get immeasurably worse. That's the difference only Jesus can make. If we give our lives to him, he provides for us a place in God's kingdom, the forgiveness of sin, a free relationship with God. And as a result, we have and will be given every good thing for all eternity. Without him, we'll lose the very small amount that we do have and inherit only a truly miserable eternity. And with that reality check in mind, Jesus can say with great warmth, verse 32 of today's reading, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide for yourself purses that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Now given nearly all of us are well into the territory of wants, not needs, cultivating a heart of generosity that shares of our excess both to relieve the outrageous suffering of the poor and to build the kingdom is the wisest investment strategy one can have. And the use of our wealth and our spiritual good are always intertwined. And given only heart change can help cultivate a willing and cheerful generosity, we need a powerful antidote to our worry. And that antidote is thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7, it's in uh, your leaflets, and sorry Liza, I haven't perhaps been clear, well done. (laughs) The Apostle Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The great remedy to anxiety is prayer and petition to God with thanksgiving. And for us, we do have so much to be thankful for. 
First and foremost, of course, we have the kingdom. It's the firmest foundation for our rejoicing that can never be taken from us. Yet as people who, by and large, aren't worried about our daily bread, there's so much we can give thanks for materially as well. We have a warm and safe place to meet together as God's people, a place where we can worship him freely. We have homes to return to. We have the power of choice about what we will do for our work. We have the power of choice on our own education. For those of us with kids, we've got lots of great options for them. Yes, of course, we come to this sermon in a time where the supermarket shelves aren't always full at the moment. And KFC is putting cabbage in their Zinger burgers instead of lettuce because it's too expensive, which to me just sounds gross. <laughs> but doesn't it highlight what we've taken for granted most of our lives? That we can go to the shops and choose between 67 breakfast cereals, buy fresh produce in and out of season toilet paper in bulk. Didn't we freak out when that option was taken away from us? (laughs) I could go on, but for many across time and across our world today, they could only but dream of such comfort and ease. And the thought that we can buy enough food to end up throwing away 30% of it and still have money left over for other things, to still have the power of choice in so many other areas of life, it's actually amazing. <laughs> it is a huge blessing. And regularly taking a moment to express thanks for what we have is not only the right response to God's kindness, but it's good for the heart. <laughs> so take a moment when you get home today. Before you pull out the keys and walk back into the front door after church, just stop for a moment and give thanks to God. If your trust is in Jesus, the God of the universe is pleased to give you a place in his kingdom forever. Death does not win. (laughs) The challenges we face, however significant they may be, they will fade and be no more. And I get to walk into a warm home with food in it and good access to medical care. A supermarket stocked with so much is close by. Yes, we do each have our set of cares and concerns and some of them are financial in our households. Yet as we're reminded today, we have a loving provider God that we can present our prayers and petitions to who promises us that he will guard our hearts and give us peace when we come to him in prayer with thanksgiving. And in a world that kind of works so hard 24-7 to make us discontent and worried so that we buy things, so that we sign up for schools to make us purchase every kind of insurance to train us to look at our homes with discontent so that we buy, buy, buy. Cultivating a heart of thanksgiving is a powerful antidote. Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 is a great one to get out a texter and write on a piece of paper and stick it on the fridge. And I'd also say that it's only from a thankful heart 
that we can cultivate a cheerful and willing heart that loves to be generous. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 are great passages that speak of the heart of generosity that God seeks to develop in us. It is worthwhile reading this week in its entirety, but for now I'll just read you a few verses from 2 Corinthians 8 verses 7 and 9. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, the Apostle Paul writes uh, to the Corinthians, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus, in all of his eternal majesty, came to this earth to teach, to walk among us, to face down his enemies, to humble himself, to become truly poor, taking all of our sins upon his shoulders and bearing them to the cross, to offer all people everywhere a place in his kingdom forever so that we might know true riches if you're here today just checking out who jesus is do let us know it's our greatest joy as a church family to share with you jesus his life his work on the cross so that he can offer you riches that never spoil and never fade and for those of us who know the grace of our lord jesus Generosity is a heart attitude that he longs for us to cultivate together. What kind of community do we want to be? So I'd argue that's what church is, a community being conformed to Jesus. What kind of community and how would you describe that? Well, I would say amongst many other things, 2 Corinthians puts before us that we should be growing into a generous one that excels in the grace of giving. Will one sermon do that? No. (laughs) Will giving giving increasing amounts of your money away make you feel like you're living your best life? (laughs) No. (laughs) But is it a great thing to do the hard yards year in, year out to develop ourselves amongst ourselves as a community, a heart of thanksgiving, So that as a church, a local community of God's people, we can joyfully and willingly look to the needs of others, both spiritually and physically, and together grow into a a big-hearted, other-person-centred, generous and cheerful sharers of our wealth and excess. Is that a good thing to do together? Absolutely. (laughs) If ever a one-off topic uh, felt inadequate to the task, today is certainly the day, given the huge power our wants and desires have over us. But I've put at the uh, bottom of your sermon outline uh, a link to something uh, that was forwarded on to me this week called The Generosity Project, and it's a series of Bible studies that I think it would be great for all of our growth groups to do at some point in this year. We're going to try the first one this week in uh, my growth group. And what I really liked about it is it's not just seeking to be a one-off thing that you read by yourselves. 
It's called the Generosity Project because it's realising that together we want to cultivate a heart attitude uh, amongst us over time that shapes our hearts to be increasingly generous. Wealth and the power of choice are good things in and of themselves to be received with thanksgiving to God, with hearts that see our excess and are moved with compassion to care for those much less fortunate than us. But also, you'd have to say across the Bible, wealth is also seductive and can draw us away from God. So giving generously is actually a great tactic in guarding our own hearts. Corporately, we do want to be the people who care enough for our world's spiritual well-being, others' ultimate good, that we do give to plant churches, to train gospel workers at Bible colleges, to send missionaries off as we are together to strengthen God's church. We have come a long way together and there's much to be encouraged by in the life of our community. But there is also a long way to go. We want to keep walking down that road together. And with much work ahead of us, I want to leave you with an image that really moved me this week as I pondered wealth and generosity. I was in someone's home uh, looking at the side of their fridge. It's a family I've known for a long time who've been uh, committed to church planting, sharing the gospel with friends and neighbours, generous in their time and finances towards God's church. And uh, I know them well enough to know that they could have lived in a bigger home with more worldly possessions. Yet on the side of their fridge were their sponsor kids through Compassion, an organisation that seeks to relieve the poverty of some of our world's most poor and to actually help families break the cycle of poverty and at the same time share Jesus. Many of us uh, sponsor our kids through Compassion and between our two churches we, we finally hit our goal of sponsoring over 100 kids. I think we're up to 106 now, which is very encouraging. So as I looked at the side of their fridge and saw a number of uh, Compassion kids there, there was a simple handwritten note that said, live more simply so that others can simply live. Now it's a nice turn of phrase, to be sure. Live more simply so that others can simply live. But what made it so powerful and moving to me was that I knew them well enough to be able to see the many ways the decisions small and large over many years on how they'd use their wealth to live out that simple phrase for the benefit of others. As I stood there thinking forward to this week's sermon, I thought, I want to be more like that. I want all of us to be more like that. And amidst our world of endless desires, investment options and excess... It was actually massively encouraging to my heart to see people filled with thankfulness, cultivating big and generous hearts over the long haul. I thought, I want to be part of a community like that, as people who follow our Lord Jesus, who willingly became poor 
so that we could be rich. Feel free to SMS your questions in. We'll answer them uh, in a little while. But for now, having only made a very modest start on the topic, let me close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for your heart of generosity for our world. We thank you for your great plan of salvation uh, to deal with our world's biggest problem, our broken relationship with you and the sins of many, of all of us that have caused that. We thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ came, uh, stepping away from the eternal praise and adoration that is rightly his from heaven to walk this earth and to truly become poor as he hung on the cross, bearing the sins of the whole world upon his shoulders so that he could offer all of us a place in your kingdom forever. Thank you so much for Jesus' heart in this so that we and all who trust in him can be truly rich and have an inheritance and treasure in heaven that never spoils or fades. In light of this, Lord, in in such a blessed part of the world, uh, we pray that uh, some of these short-term financial pressures that we're considering for the first time in a long time, uh, please, Lord, help us not to withdraw and be less generous. Uh, Please help us to step forward in faith in your provision and be more generous to the world's poor and to further the work of seeing your kingdom here built on earth in many and varied ways. We pray this for your glory. We pray this for the sake of others who will both hear of the good news of Jesus, uh, but also uh, out of our generosity find some relief from the grinding effects of abject poverty uh, in our world. Please help us to be truly generous and kind in our hearts responding with thanksgiving and cheerfully uh, sharing some of what you have given us with others who um, are, uh, have not uh, in any way been blessed uh, as much as so many of us. Um, please generate the right heart amongst all this so that our actions might follow. And please, as a church, Lord, continue to conform us into the image of Jesus, continue to build us together corporately as a body of Christ. And we pray that uh, each and every person with us now at church and those that we haven't met yet that will join us in the years to come might be blessed by being part of a community that actively seeks uh, to grow those generous, big-hearted responses uh, to our world's problems and willingly and freely gives uh, to bring... Uh, glory and honour to you and blessing to our world. And it's in Jesus' precious and very powerful name we pray. Amen.